I'm Andrew Constantine, and this is a stick with a point. In this episode of A Stick with a Point, our guest is someone whose work is constantly heard all around the world, in the greatest of concert halls and on countless legendary recordings. And I doubt very much whether any of you have actually heard of him. He's renowned for his stunning technical skills and his ability to make a great piano sound almost any way you want it to. So, who on earth am I talking about? Let's find out. So I'm joined today by Ulrich Gerhardt, who is the Director of Concert and Artists for Steinways in London. Ulrich, lovely to see you. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm enjoying this pandemic and obviously no, it's a complete lie as we all know. Um, but I'm thrilled to have you on a stick with a point today. And you know, I read something um, just the other day about you. I was doing my research and um, there was an article in The Guardian and it had the headline of, is this the most powerful man in classical music? I had yes. no idea. I'm in such exalted company. So Ulrich, thanks. Thanks so much for being with us. Um, now, I think um, a lot of people, when they think of um, piano technicians, obviously confuse them with the role of a piano tuner. And um, I'm hoping that you and I are going to have a conversation at both high level about what you do and um, slightly more uh, practical, fundamental level as well. But I've got to know over the years that somebody like yourself is so essential to great performances of any great pianist, however good they might be or think they are. So yes. um, um, maybe you'll tell us a little bit about about your your incredible role. Yes, it's a, it's a very good question because everybody, even if I turn up, people will say the piano tuner is coming, where <laughs> piano tuner piano tuning is an essential part in preparing a piano but only really the final the final thing you do to get the piano to be as good as it can be so it's it's a piano is a machine which is um, uh, in a, a sound case like a like a violin or a cello would be and um, it has many more strings it has a lot of tension it can create a lot of sound it has mechanics in it with a keyboard that has a lot of moving parts. So there's many more parts in a piano than there are in a car. And um, the pianist gets access to the sound case by a keyboard, which has to be finely regulated and tuned in order to get the biggest variety of sound from the piano. Now, piano tuners who are specializing in tuning pianos do one thing, and that is tune the strings of the piano to well-tempered temperament and make sure that all the notes are in tune with themselves and also within the temperament, the equal temperament that we tune um, uh, on a piano. Um, and a piano technician will look much more into the, the workings of the piano, the mechanics of the piano, the whole character of the piano, and also the whole voicing process of the piano. The piano in many ways is like an orchestra uh, with different sections. And uh, the pianist gets the access to this orchestra, not by a stick, but by the keyboard. And the piano technician's 
role is to make sure that the keyboard is evenly regulated, that the hammers are evenly voiced, and also that the piano is in tune. You know, you started uh, talking about something that I really don't want to get into, um, uh, talking about equal temperament. And um, during this, this lockdown time, I started reading a little bit about all sorts of different temperaments, um, and I've got thoroughly confused. And um, they're almost the equivalent of um, some of these conspiracy theorists who, who are occupying our, our airwaves at the moment. And um, uh, maybe you'll just outline a little bit for me what equal temperament is. So in equal tuning is where all the, the notes are, the semitones are the same, whereas on a tempered tuning, they are tempered so that they all can play with each other. Um, so it's, it was a real breakthrough that in one keyboard, you can play everything you like and it sounds still in tune. Now the purists will say it has to be an equal temperament, but in, with an equal temperament, you are limited in what you can do. Why is that, Uli? You remember you're dealing with a really dense conductor here, so, so why is that? It's because all the harmonics don't blend together, you know, right. the, the, the chords. And here we, we in, a, in, a, in, a, in a tempered scale, we create one octave, and within one octave we accommodate all the different uh, intervals from thirds, fourths, fifths, and sixths to fit into an octave. And in order to achieve that, we have to temper the notes between each other slightly. So they are not equal. This is, this is mind-blowing already. We're just three minutes into this interview, you know. So um, um, we'll take that as read for now, and I'm going to dwell on that through the rest of this interview and, and see if I can manufacture either an understanding or a, a, an appropriate retort to that. Um, yes. But um, I can well understand why you might be deemed the most powerful man in classical music. Uh, but tell us a little bit about about your personal motivation to do what you do. I mean, you know, you must love music, do you? I absolutely love music. I've never been a professional pianist or professional musician. I come very much from the craft side, which again, makes me much more a piano technician than a piano tuner. And uh, when I left school after my A-levels, I wanted to study architecture and industrial design, but wanted to learn a handcraft before going to university. And I then moved from Vienna, where we lived at the time, back to Germany, back to Hamburg, which is my hometown. And on the lookout for a workshop where I could learn a handcraft, um, I ended up being offered a guided tour through the Steinbeck factory in Hamburg. And my eyes opened, and I was absolutely amazed uh, what a fascinating process it was to manufacture a musical instrument. And was fascinated by the materials that go into a piano. And after this tour, um, I applied to do um, sort of uh, work experience. And they wrote back and said, we are booked out for that, but we are looking for apprentices right to us. And to cut a long story short, I ended up in September 86 as a young Steinway piano maker apprentice in our factory in Hamburg and have never looked back. So my beginnings of being involved with pianos are really based in the factory in Hamburg, which is the home of the Steinway piano as far as I'm concerned, the Steinway piano that um, we work on here in Europe. Um, and um, after three and a half years of the apprenticeship, where you go through every single stage of making a piano, uh, 
I was committed to the company, to Steinway Sons, to the piano that we built, but it was also very clear that I would not be happy to, for the rest of my working life, work in a factory specializing on one aspect of making this piano. I was much more interested to actually see the pianos leaving the factory, go on stage and perform. And that was what brought me to London. I then asked Steinway Hamburg to transfer me to London. I asked London, of course, whether they would have me. And in 1990, I moved from Hamburg to London, where I joined for two years the workshop where Steinway London rebuilt old Steinways, repaired and serviced them. And then two years later, I moved into the concert department, where at Steinway Hall, I very quickly specialized on preparing, selecting and presenting concert grand pianos to artists on stage. And that is really another difference between, you know, a concert technician and a tuner that a concert technician is constantly involved with concert pianos that go on stage that are exposed to microphones, to audience, to nice acoustics and to very high profile artists. Whereas a piano tuner does probably most his tunings on upright pianos of any make and age in domestic situations, which are tuned maybe once every three years. If you have a very good owner and they're proud of their piano, they own their, they tune their piano probably twice a year. But it's a, it's a bit like comparing somebody that works in a garage working on sort of domestic cars that are driven to the supermarket and back to a Formula One workshop where technicians work with drivers to prepare an individual car for one race only. And then after that race, start again to prepare the piano. That is really in a nutshell, my speciality, my reputation is what I can do with a concert grant that is built by Steinway & Sons to make it suitable for venues, for festivals, for specific artists, for recordings. And in order to get the experience, you need to be exposed to these pianos all the time. You need to know what comes out of the factory. You need to know who makes the pianos and you need to be good at all the skills are necessary to work in fine details of all aspects of the damper mechanism, the pedals, the strings, the hammers, the mechanics, the keyboard. And also on top of all that, you need to be extremely good at tuning. Well, let's leave the tuning aspect aside for a moment because it's it's the engineering aspect that I'm I'm fascinated by that, that, that you then have to uh, um, adapt to, to obviously uh, affect the tuning. So, your basic training, your initial training, I should say, involved all of the construction aspects, different components of how a piano is put together. And I love the analogy with cars and Formula One and all of that sort of thing. Um, you must now know a lot of pianos individually that, that you, that you uh, go around to work on for festivals and particular concert halls and soloists. Is there a is there like a number of 10 or 20 particular pianos that you love to see again and again? Well, there's, there's a, a greater number than 10 or 20 that I see again. And my own inventory of pianos that I have at Steinway Hall, concert grants are 12. Mm -hmm. And they are almost like a football team of younger players and older players, experienced players, not so experienced players that have different characters, different voices, different touches. And with that becomes suitable for certain venue for certain artists. 
and I need to maintain them in their variety so that I don't have 12 consequences that all sound the same. But I have 12 consequences where one is perfectly suitable to go into Wigmore Hall, for example, for a leader recital. Another one might be uh, sent to the Royal Albert Hall for the BBC problems for piano concertos in a 5,000-seater auditorium. So although they all look the same, black, shiny consequences, uh, what there is under the lid is a completely different character, but with the same sound pedigree of the Steinway. So again, one of the beauties of working for Steinway & Sons that we as a piano manufacturer are really also specialized in building concert grants. And if you look at the world, and usually before pandemic, I'm on the road probably 50% of my time and the rest in the UK and Ireland. Uh, all international concert venues of any reputation, whether you like Steinway or not, will own a Steinway concert grant. And for us as a company, it is very important to have enough skilled technicians around, whether they work for us or, or with us, that know what to do with these pianos so that when actually the artist comes on stage, she finds a Steinway piano that is well-regulated, well-voiced and well-tuned. And in London alone, I've got my own pianos at Steinway Hall and then all the major venues have their own resident Steinways as well, which I count among those. So Wigmore Hall, for example, across the road from us, owns three concert grants. I know them intimately, and I'm involved with these pianos from the moment they are selected in the factory, and then look after them throughout their lifetime. And very often what happens is that when very important artists come to play in a hall like that, we time special maintenance sessions around these visits so that when the artist comes on stage, that piano is as well prepared as possible so that actually on the night, your focus is on tuning and doing minute final adjustments specifically for that artist for that one performance. And what are the, um, what are the main aspects of a piano that you feel as though you can, excuse the terminology, tinker with? Because they're obviously very wonderful um, uh, structures within themselves and, and very finely tuned even when they're, they've been left for a little while. So what are the three or four main areas you like to focus on? Okay. Um, the three main areas are tuning to start with, voicing, which is working on the hammer felt to create dynamic ranges and levels, and also an even balanced tone from the base of the piano to the treble, and then mechanical adjustments to the action. And to throw in a fourth one would be pedals and dampers because individual pianists use the pedals and the dampers and the, their individual touch to create their sound on a piano. What is really striking and you can see it and hear it in piano competitions in particular where you have one piano on stage and then you have one young performer performing on the same stage within minutes uh, on the same piano that everyone will make a different sound on the piano. And it's happened to me in the Leeds piano competition, I would be preparing the piano, there would be a break, and then a pianist comes on, and I sit in my seat and say, God, this piano sounds absolutely awful. I've just done it. Why does it sound so bad? And then the pianist is finished, and the next pianist comes along, and the piano sounds a million dollars. So it is ultimately a pianist with a touch that doesn't find a nice sound in the piano can make a well-prepared piano, piano sound really, really, really bad. And... If you think of the great pianists of the past, like Rubinstein uh, or Olszewski, 
you would put them on a piano that might be completely out of tune, knackered old WhatsApp piano, and they play it and it sounds perfectly agreeable. So I always say to get a piano to sound as good as possible, you need a very good piano, well prepared, you need a good hall with a nice acoustics, and you need a pianist who finds their sound on that piano. And that's very much my role to help venues and also pianists to have a piano on stage that is that makes them forget about the piano and just think about music and make music. That's really the ultimate goal. And there is a lot of a lot of work for it. Some pianists need much more attention than others. Somebody like Alfred Brendel would always, always, always travel with a piano technician. And more so do that than bring a piano because he knew if he's with a piano technician that knows what he wants from a piano, he will ultimately have a piano where he doesn't need to play the piano's mistakes, but can it play his own mistakes? That was his famous quote. Uh. And by working with pianists like that, as a piano technician, you learn a lot about what artists actually want from a piano that we built. If you are a very arrogant piano technician, say, oh, I trained with Steinway, I know everything about pianos, and you present the piano the way you like it, that might not necessarily be what a pianist might like. Mm. And tastes of pianists and also characters of pianos even out of our production change over generations. I've been doing this now for 30 years and in 30 years pianos have developed become different. Also pianists in their career have different priorities whereas priority of pianists in his young age might have been um, just the light and fast action to play easy when they come older, they might want more sonority in the sound, which might mean that the action is slightly harder work because they have to work to get the sound out of the piano. Whereas young pianists want very often just a very instant sound and a very fast, clean action. And that's again where you work as a piano technician with your inventory. You have young pianos to cater for very often younger players. Uh, or young pianos that cater for venues that are large where the piano has to project very fast into a big space and older pianos that slightly change their character where the sound leaves the, the piano slightly differently, produces more color and more sustain and therefore is a much better partner in chamber music or leader recitals. That's fascinating. It's, it almost sounds like putting a jockey on a racehorse, doesn't it? You've got, you've got to match things perfectly. And at times you must feel as though you're almost acting as a, as a psychiatrist to, to some of these highly tuned soloists. Do you, do you um, feel that as well? Yes, I mean, you need to understand them and you need to put them first. Most of the pianists that I work with become very, very close friends and that's how I operate. It's not mm. a job you do to get out of bed, oh, I do this piano today because I get paid X amount. It is that you do the piano today in order to have it as good as possible. And the diary is usually full of events that are important. Some artists sort of almost give the skeleton outlay of your diary because their events you have to be there. Like this year, what was left over at the proms, there was Mitsuko Uchida performing with Sanan Rattle. Well, that was a date that was in the diary as soon as the date was booked. And then the whole preparation and selection of that very piano revolved about that concert. And and then that piano also had to be the right piano for the other pianists that played on the same stage. So it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not a case of having a piano and the piano is fine and you work on it. It's a lot of preparation of 
having the right piano ready at the right time, delivered in the venue, and the communication parallel to it with the artist and the promoter to make sure that there's a budget to bring the piano there, to hire the piano, to prepare the piano. And then on the day of the concert, it's almost like the culmination of a lot of work that has been done by a lot of people before the show starts. You said a little earlier as well that um, pianos are constantly developing, or they have done during your, your working lifetime. Um, is that in, in the materials that are used, or, or is it a, an aspect of the character that's required by these soloists you're talking about today? It's a bit of both. The, the, the biggest changes we have in piano manufacturing are in many ways forced on us by materials that are not available anymore. A prime example for that would be ivory. In 1990, it was very clear push from the environmentalists that we shouldn't be using ivory on keyboards anymore. So the change came in 1990. So from 1990, all standard pianos were made with a synthetic key cover. So that was one big change. And when the change happened, there was a lot of outcry. The pianists, oh, we can only play, the touch is not the same. But now, of course, all the young pianists have grown up, never ever played an ivory keyboard. So the subject is off the table. An ivory keyboard is something almost rare that lives in a private home. And there are the odd pianos that still have ivory keyboards that needs to be maintained slightly differently because maintaining an ivory keyboard is much more work intense than a plastic keyboard. Oh, I never thought of that. Uh, and at Wickmore Hall, we still have one piano that is lovingly called The Old Lady, a mm. piano that was built in 1980, 7980, that still has an ivory keyboard. And we are maintaining that piano with the ivory keyboard, but it is really only used for specific pianists and not for the majority of concerts. And I have an ivory piano, ivory keyboard piano at home. The ultimate key cover really was is is ivory. It has a wonderful material which um which allows it in wonderful contact of the finger to the key. And if you think that that magic contact of how the pianist pushes the key down and lets it return, creates their individual sound, makes you realize actually how important this key covering is. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, now, with the young generation pianist, it is much less of an issue, and there are no ivory keyboards around on concert platforms anymore, so it is not, um, not a problem. Well, that's very interesting, Uli, isn't it? Because you, you talk about um, a piano from 1979 to 80, called the old lady i find I that enormously distressing um but at the same time i remember again reading something you said that um the pianos have a um a life expectancy and it's much shorter i think than than we would have all thought i mean these are incredibly uh, refined machines and they're very expensive but they do have uh, a life expectancy why why is that well that is specifically for pianos that are on stage okay so if if you went today to your nearest Steinway hall and you bought yourself a Steinway model b to sit at home that you use for composing and playing that'll last you and your children and your grandchildren and then it will be rebuilt and will still be around now as i said before if a piano that sits at home maybe gets tuned once a year maybe twice a year but very often less than that mm. and um it gets played sometimes heavily, sometimes not so heavily. Whereas a piano that sits 
on a, in a hall like the Wigmore Hall, even in lockdown at Wigmore Hall, we had two concerts a day, Monday to Friday, and one concert each Saturday, Sunday. And before each concert, the piano is tuned. So tuning alone will wear the piano out. Working on the hammer to make sure it's constantly even will wear the hammer out. And the Wigmore piano, that's currently the main piano, has been the main piano since January 2015. And that piano had a new set of hammers and shanks and strings in the treble last summer, summer 2019. That just shows you how intensely these pianos are used and where with the use, that after a period of 10 years, 15 years, you would need to spend a lot of money rebuilding the pianos to make them serviceable. And when you rebuild a piano that is actually, then needs to be maintained without spending time changing parts it is a much better thing to actually retire that piano, sell it as a second-hand piano to a school or private individual, and reintroduce a new piano in the venue that can be maintained over a period of 10 years without changing parts or doing anything major other than regulating it, voicing it, and tuning it on site. Mm. Wow. Well, that's all fascinating stuff. Um, now, we've talked about the foibles and the personalities of different soloists and the instruments as well. I'm listening to you, looking at you and, and trying to get into your head as to how you respond to different situations. Do you think that there's a perfect temperament for the piano technician? I mean, you must have to show enormous patience at times, both in your mechanical work and your psychological work for one of the yeah. In many ways, you need to be as much a perfectionist as the artist is. If you... Um, think for yourself, oh, this is good enough. Well, ultimately, you're not the one going on stage playing. Mm. Saying that, I don't think there's any piano tuner in the world that will voluntarily leave a piano out of tune and then sit in the hall and feel good about it. I think, for me, the worst nightmare would be if, for whatever reason, a piano that I'm responsible for on the night goes out of tune during the performance. Um, as a result, the one thing you need to be as a piano technician, you need to be absolutely pedantic about preparation of the piano. You need to have an insight of how the venue is run so that anything that could happen that prevent you from doing your work, you must be ahead of the game. For example, if I tune at the BBC proms, there's so much happening on stage, I know I don't get quiet time or I might get 15 minutes. Now, you can't tune a piano that is out of tune in 15 minutes, no way. And at the same time, you are there with a high-profile artist with a live broadcast very often TV. So you somehow have to find time and negotiate time to get into the hall when you have quiet time, which is very often very early in the morning, to get your tuning on the piano that you know will survive anything that will happen till the piano goes on stage. And any extra time you have, which might be 15 minutes here or there, is bonus time to refine things or time you spent with the artist to do any adjustments just before the show. This is quite a so, tightrope you're, you're always walking, isn't it, it? it? It is a tightrope and you need to be patient. You need to be committed. You need to know your pianos. You need to know how your pianos behave in the venues. You need to know what the priorities are of the artist. What are important? What is important to this individual artist? For example, does he want a keyboard cleaned or does he not want the keyboard cleaned? Does he want the tuning slightly pulled sharp in the treble or not? Does he like a bright piano, light touch, fast response? And all these things you need to 
have already done before the artist arrives so that if the artist then says oh yeah Uli, you know everything's fine but can you adjust the pedals for example then you can do that in very short period of time but if they came on stage and said to you oh can you completely re-regulate the piano it doesn't work for me then it's curtains wow. because it can't yeah. be done yeah. and with some artists they are they are so reliant on a piano to do what they need to do on stage that they would come and visit me in the workshop to spend some time with the piano before the piano goes even in the venue. And that is also very easy to explain. Do you like that? If, do you like them coming to be that close to your work? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. And it's vital. It's also very, you know, it's a bit like, again, if you are with Lewis Hamilton in the Mercedes garage and you can't deal with Lewis Hamilton because he's an arrogant super driver and superstar and you are just the technician, well, then you already, you won't work together. So artists are, have high expectations. They need to understand what your limitations are because your limitations are also what the instrument can do. So ultimately both pianist and piano technician fight with the same limitation within one instrument. Our job is to eradicate all the limitations to make the piano perform as well as possible. And then the magic of the pianist is to also assess the piano, finds its strengths and weaknesses, strengths and weaknesses, and then make music. A bit like mm -hmm. you as a conductor, if you have an orchestra that hasn't got a good section of one area, you somehow have to work with the orchestra so that it doesn't get exposed. And the same, if a piano has a slightly weak treble, you have to balance the sound of the piano so that the slightly weak treble doesn't sound weak because you balance the middle and bass section accordingly, yeah. which is you're, exactly... You're very perceptive. I, I, I'm, I'm so impressed with this. And, and also, you must have enormous self-belief because there's no room here for any degree of, of doubt about what you're doing at all, is there? Well, you, you constantly doubt yourself and you always learn more and you learn more in particular from artists saying, can you improve on that? So mm. you will try things and you will speak with manufacturing. So that's one of the beauties of my position is because I grew up in this diamond factory and I'm from Hamburg and I'm one of them. I can go back with all my experience, what these pianos actually deliver on stage and complaints or comments I get from artists and bring them back into the factory without somebody saying, oh, this is all not very good. No. You can have a constructive dialogue. And I do the same if, if I've got a piano that I've selected in the factory and I've communicated with my colleagues and that piano then sits in a recording studio and does a recording with Mari Pariah doing Hammerklavier, I would send an email to my colleagues in Hamburg said that piano, 585, has just done the most amazing recording because... I couldn't do my job without my colleagues in Hamburg and also colleagues in New York for the New York branch to make a piano that allows me to actually make music right, for right. artists. You know, yeah. it's almost like being given a palette of colors that you combine to make an amazing picture. Yeah, maybe a better way I should have put it was it, it's a combination of, of training, experience, pedigree, and... Um, and then the the uh, the self confidence comes yeah. in there because uh, and it's it's um, it is hard work. It, if you cut corners, you've already lost. It's like if artists cut corners because they think the audience won't hear it. Well, they will. It's every single detail that counts. And if you are not prepared to do that, then you're on the wrong job for this. Well, this is a fascinating discussion, um, but I want to 
if I may, ask you a couple of lighter questions. I hope they're lighter. And ask you, Ulrich, what is, within all of this, what is your proudest moment as a technician? Well, proudest moments for me are time spent with Alfred Brendel, who in many ways was my mentor because he he relied heavily on his piano technicians and he called them his piano angels. He couldn't do what he wanted to do artistically without people around him that could give him the right piano and prepared. Uh, that has also formed me very much the way I work on pianos and how I perceive the balance within a piano when I start the voicing process. The other proudest moments are my involvement with Mari Pryor since 2000 or just before 2000 because he is one of the most extraordinary recording artists of our time. And to have his trust to totally leave it to me what pianos I put in front of him when he does his recordings is a, a, a huge privilege. It allows me to really use my resources to actually find the right piano because it's not me taking any old piano, doing my magic, and then all of a sudden it's the right piano. Well, you have to find the right piano first and then prepare it. And to then listen back to these recordings um, is, is, is a joy. Mm -hmm. and, and with that comes the relationship with the artist. One becomes you know, a very close friend. And, and I like operating that way. The way the pianos are my friends, the artists are my friends. Uh, for, with some artists, one always feels they have a love-hate relationship with the piano. The piano is almost a necessary evil. It's the same with piano tuners or piano technicians very often are, I think, are viewed as a necessary evil because it costs money to tune a piano and they're in the way. Um, the, the, the other, the flip side of that is this very close relationship with artists that want you there. I've had artists change concert days because I wasn't free because wow. they want me there. Mm -hmm. And, and that makes you work harder that it does not make you become arrogant or think you know it better. It makes you work harder because once you've got that trust, if you don't deliver once or twice, well, then that trust is gone. And and you get even more creative to create the environment where you have access to these pianos, where if you deliver them into venues, where you, you know the venues, you know the difficulties of the venues, so that you bring them in with enough time to prepare them. And on the day also, make sure that you create an environment that it's right for the piano, for the artist, and for you. So it's, it's a huge team effort. And the beauty of having been in this for such a long time and knowing the venues you have to also bring with you the staff, the technical staff that work on stage. You need to bring with you the event managers and the promoters so that when they plan a festival, they budget for a piano. Because what usually happens is they plan these grand events and then the afterthought, oh, we need a piano. And the event is in a hall with difficult access and we have no budget. And of course, artists very often so glad to have a concert date that the last thing they will come along and say well yeah but we need to start a piano and there is no budget and therefore they have to compromise on the quality of pianos and we try to very much educate and make sure that we actually have infrastructure and budget to get the best possible pianos on yeah. stage yeah. well you could um, you could be marketing my podcast for me because yes these essential workers that that yes. i'm trying to sing the praises of and yeah. bring attention to that you're you're so perfectly describing there uh, essential workers behind the scenes that 
without whom we could never enjoy concerts or recordings the way we do. And I can understand why you have um, such fond feelings and, and proud associations with, with the great artists you mentioned. Um, uh, lighter thing, maybe to end up with, <laughs> tell me something really funny that's happened while you've been working on a piano or in recording sessions. Well, it's the one thing I want to say, and that's quite important for the setup that we have in London, which also very much shows how I operate to make sure that we can look after our pianos as best as possible. I'm working with a wonderful team of, we call them concert tuners. So they are people that are specialized on tuning for concerts. So they would look after the bulk of tunings of pianos that I prepare and look after in venues and our own higher pianos. And we are a very close team that communicate so that it's an inbuilt quality control. If one of my colleagues tunes in any of the venues I'm responsible for pianos and there's something not right, I'll know that night. So the next day I can ring the venue and say, Tuna so-and-so has been there yesterday and this is the issue, when can I come in and fix it? That's just something, I'm not a, a, a one-man band. I work as in many ways the guy that makes sure that all the pianos we send out are at the best possible standard and that they are looked after by trained tuners that tune the pianos on a daily basis. My quality control are the artists that want me with them. So that's when I then go and tune for concerts. Uh, and the system proves to work very well and it's now really gone quite global with all the venues overseas that I look after that will always, always include the resident piano tuner so that they know what I do to their piano because it's their piano to make it better, that they have an email address, telephone number to ask questions. If an artist has a request, can we do that? Can't we do that? And that gives us continuity in the maintenance of the piano so the pianos are staying the same in their character and are always as best maintained as possible. Now, funny moments. Uh, pianos get moved around. That's other thing people don't realize. Concert pianos are constantly on the move, especially the higher pianos. So a lot of pianos that are used for recordings are pianos that are brought into venues from a workshop, in my case, from Stanley Hall, London. And I had two funny things. One piano goes from London to Berlin for a recording session. And we all arrive in the studio to the start time of the sessions. And the piano's there, but they left the legs and the pedals at the warehouse about <laughs> 200 miles away from where the studio is. So we had to abandon the morning and some poor bloke and panic had to drive from that place with the legs and pedals so that we could put the piano on its feet. Um, another very funny story was working with, with Grigory Sokolov at the South Bank Center um, many moons ago now. And again, I described this so beautifully. It was a Sunday concert. It was a higher piano that was delivered into the South Bank Center, which I prepared specifically for him. The preparation also included reshaping the hammers, where you take a layer of felt off and then with fine sandpaper finish the hammer so they have a very clean contact hammer to string. And I said to Gregory, go and rehearse early Sunday morning and I'll come join you at lunchtime. And um, so I let him rehearse and I drove into London to arrive at South Bank Center, went to the stage door and a very excited stage section meets me and says, oh, there's something wrong with the piano. The piano is smoking. The piano is smoking. So I went, what's going on here? So I went on stage and, you know, you can just imagine a dark hall with some spotlight shining onto the piano. And when Gregory 
practice, of course, all the dust in the hammers was blowing out into the oh. light of the spots. <laughs> and it literally looked as if the piano was smoking. <laughs> so that was one of those funny stories. Mm. And um, I think told now when we talk about piano preparation, it's uh, people will understand it much better. You know, Ulrike has this is um, this has been wonderful for me, and I'm sure for my listeners as well. You're obviously a master of your trade, if I can call it that, and um, um, I know you're enormously respected around the world. Uh, so many people say, "Oh, you've got to interview this guy; he's just fantastic." Tell you everything you need to know. So I I am so grateful to you, Ulrike. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you, Andrew. the fabulous Ulrich Gerhardt, the top man at Steinways when it comes to managing what's going on under the hood. And should we ever be allowed into a concert hall again, watch out for the guy who, just before the performance starts, is so often working away at the piano as swiftly as he or she can, with last-minute adjustments, making sure all involved experience the best sound possible from the instrument. Next time, my guest will be a dear friend, the incredible pianist and composer, Stuart Goodyear. I'm Andrew Constantine, and you've been listening to A Stick with a Point. <laughs>